Hey listeners, thank you for tuning in to this podcast and being a part of our deep dive discussions. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties, specifically on my end, with this episode, but we've done some modifications and have fixed it going forward. Hopefully you'll continue to enjoy the conversation. Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me celebrating the world of long-form storytelling is my friend and co-host, Adam. Hey man, how's it going? Good. We are in the midst of Stranger Things 3. We're in chapter 3. It's a lot of threes. (laughs) And I am excited to get into this next entry of the Stranger Things universe, as I know that you are. This is the first of two episodes, as we're used to, directed by our man Sean Levy, and it is definitely characteristic of episodes that he has directed in the past, character-centric, lots of heavy stuff, almost cried a couple of times, and I will just finish by saying, by the end of the episode, I was thinking, things just got real, like real, real. (laughs) Yeah. 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 The first two episodes definitely set the stage, but things are uh, really starting to take shape now by the end of this episode as we mentioned last time this is entitled the case of the missing lifeguard which is a little bit on the nose as we mentioned but it kind of uh goes back or harkens back to season one episode one with uh the something about will byers the, being missing. the vanishing of will byers the vanishing of will byers i knew like the word yeah. was changed so instead of missing yeah. it was vanished the vanishing of will byers so, yeah, it's like that kind of similar uh, cadence. Yeah, cadence of a title, similar cadence in the yes. titles. Yeah, this is really good, man. I'm excited to get into it. And uh, so let's just let's do it. As we always do, cold open. We got Elle and Max. They're having a sleepover at Elle's house. And it's very much a, a girly sleepover, complete <laughs> with uh, checking out Tiger Beat. Ralph Macchio's on the cover. And apparently he's so hot and is possibly <laughs> an amazing kisser, according to Max. <laughs> yeah. I like how she uh, says he's the karate kid and does a little karate chop in front yeah. of L. <laughs> like that's the I, that's the way you recognize that he's a karate kid. <laughs> right. At that time, yeah. I mean, he was in The Outsiders also. Yes, he was. He was. I don't know and if these kids would have seen that movie, though. They should have. It was a good movie. And I know. it's a movie that I'll tell you, in the rare instance, the original cut was better than the director's cut. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was very disappointed. The uh, The director's cut was also called the novel edition yeah. because it incorporated like complete, more stuff. It, yeah. Yeah. It was supposed to feel more consistent with the adaptation of the book. You know, or the yeah, yeah. And it was not good at all. I was like, this yeah. is this is really disappointing. I mean, yeah. how dare you, Francis? Go back to Godfather. He did the same thing with Apocalypse Now. He made three different cuts of that. So sometimes these directors just can't stop meddling. It's the George Lucas effect. Yeah, yeah. Although I think Oliver Stone, he's the champion of multiple cuts for the vast majority of his films. So yeah, you have to sometimes just say enough is enough. It's done. Leave it alone. (laughs) Stop tweaking. It's okay. So Max asks if Mike is a good kisser, to which Elle says, he's my first boyfriend, he doesn't really know. And the awkwardness is very much reminiscent of what it's like to be an 80s kid. I don't know what it's like to be an 80s girl at a sleepover, 
but this at <laughs> no? least harkens. Hark, I don't. Yeah, can you believe that? Um, but this does kind of emulate what we see in a lot of '80s movies for the sleepovers yep. and even some of the like Saved by the Bell. They'd have a couple of scenes with girl sleepovers, and this is the kind of stuff that they'd be they'd be talking about. Which you know, I like the stereotypes. I think it's fun to just lean into that. Absolutely, yeah. Just having fun, listening to music, talking about boys. Right. That's looking at magazines. What else? I mean, what else are you going to do yeah. besides convince your friend Elle to use her powers to see what Mike and Lucas are up to? So this is the twist on right. the standard sleepover. Instead of just wondering what the boys are talking about, you telekinesis to it. I don't know if that, what the <laughs> verb is there, but you use your powers to, to sneak a little bit. Was this the uh, mid-80s paranormal equivalent of just cyber stalking like one would do at a slumber party today like let's go on social media and see what they're doing (laughs) yes (laughs) see what they're up to facebook was not around for you to just stalk somebody (laughs) and so yeah this is the so l yeah l is the next best thing (laughs) yes l is the next best thing so she sees mike devouring doritos uh having a therapy session with lucas complete with laying on that really ugly couch um i think the couch itself should be considered a supporting character on the on the credit in the instances in the episodes that it actually shows up it's very much an eyesore in this basement and it both looks really comfortable and very gross at the same time yeah i think it has like a a big blanket or something covering it because you don't probably want to actually sit on the couch itself (laughs) that's true that's true you don't know what you'll find in it yeah like old rally's burgers or french fries or things that (laughs) as as sort of messy as it is though i find that the basement to be kind of cozy there's something really uh inviting to me it's just like they're just hanging out there's got there's like pizza boxes and snacks everywhere they've got their video games and yeah just it's it looks like a a fun hangout for a group of young teenagers i agree i think this is a place that feels comfortable it feels inviting for the people that it's specifically catering to like i don't think anybody else would feel comfortable besides these three and dustin it's a burp and a fart hangout spot. And yeah. that's, of course, what we get is Mike kind of finishing off his little portion of the Doritos and saying, Dude, you can smell the nacho cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and you can. It's a very, uh, it, it, it travels. <laughs> it does. It's, it's, it's very distinct. Emphasis on the word stinked right there. Yes. (laughs) One thing he says as Ellis spying is that women act on emotion, not logic. And it's really cool to hear her sort of sporadically recommunicating this to Max. Right. Relaying. Yeah. Yeah. Relaying it. Yeah. The word I couldn't remember. And Max is (laughs) like, wait, what? And I think at one point she kind of halfway says girls are a different species. And Max is like, what? (laughs) And so she's getting mad. Yeah. Yeah. It's all out of context. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> as as most adolescent conversations are, you only hear what you want to hear. And right. they start cracking up because of the whole fart. And well, L hears the fart and the burps and stuff. And she starts laughing. Max starts laughing. And I thought this would be a perfect way to segue into the, into the credits. But then I remembered, if I go back to each chapter, every set of credits starts with something like, oh my gosh. Right. And this was not an oh my gosh moment. So of course we have to keep the scene going. And that's when... Hopper comes in from his night of drunkenness and disorderliness. Of yeah, of being stood up at the local fancy restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
He barges in, he hears a ruckus in Elle's room, and of course, what does he think? He thinks it's Mike, and he starts kind of repeating in a low, dull yell. Hey! When I say three inches, three! Do you knock? Jeez. Yeah, jeez. Boy. I think it's great that Max says, dude, what are you doing? And then Elle just sort of repeats that, like, yeah, dude. Yeah. But it's like resuscitate or resuscitation. That's when you <laughs> come back to life. Recitation. She's not actually saying it. She's just like, oh, okay, that's what you're supposed to say. And I think it's right. just fun little banter there. Yeah. So he closes the door and he leaves with this like blank stare on his face, which I thought was really kind of fun. Settles into his chair, kicks the shoes off, has the bottle of wine still with him. I have expected Tostitos to pop out with salsa. Yeah. But alas, we just get him hanging out watching TV with his bottle at his side, ready to just sort of, I guess, sleep in his drunkenness. <laughs> yeah, well, and he has, again, a smile on his face. He's he's happy. He feels like he's won. You know, his plan worked. He got Mike out of the equation, and now Elle made a new friend. But it's a girl, right. so that's fine. You know, he's not worried about that. So he's victorious. Maybe not sure. in his date that he was hoping would happen but he seems to be glad just be kicking back and and enjoying the rest of his evening in his recliner sleepovers would not be i guess complete spin the bottle although a sleepover with girls you don't have people to kiss but then we find out how they're playing spin the bottle they're using l's powers to say who are we going to spy on i didn't notice this until the second time i watched it that every person in there was a boy like i thought at first it was like oh they're playing spin the bottle who do they want to spy on Mrs. Wheeler, Nancy, whoever. No, it's all dudes. It's all... Right. So instead of <laughs> kissing that one of those boys, Elle has to do something far more invasive and like go into their their mental space and find out what they're yes. doing. <laughs> they basically spy on them. Spin the bottle for invasion of privacy. Yeah. Who's it going to be? They initially landed on Mr. Wheeler and they both agree that's probably not the best because he's boring. We know he's boring. He sleeps in his chair all day. Not all day, excuse me. All weekend. He works all day and sleeps in his chair most of the evening. And but... probably every night, yes. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So we know what that's going to lead to. That's probably what they would find him doing at that moment in time. For whatever sure. Whatever hour it was in the evening. Yeah. So they spin again. It turns to Billy. And so then she tunes in. Max says, hey, if he's doing anything like awkward, just get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And boy, is he. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so she not what they finds, thought, but... Not what they thought, yeah. She sees his car with the shattered glass, looks in the trunk, there's nobody there. And then what we see is basically the last two minutes of the last episode from her perspective in that, I guess I would call it little water world type thing, you know, with the yeah. water on the ground yeah. and everything. I kid you not, Adam, as much as I know what was going to happen, because I seen the previous episode i half expected when billy turns around to have this grotesque face like a monster uh, like even though it like make no who logical he really sense. is like yeah what, exactly right like not what we see but what he's his true self yeah and i was like is this the twist we're gonna get early in this yeah. season it's like we actually see re- the, the real like if you're possessed by right. this thing you're gonna have a grotesque face but no it was really just a, a quick jump she looks at him and then Right before we get to the credits, we see his perspective in the real world. Right. She disappears. So he's kind of gotten a little glimpse of what was that? And then that's when the, the credits actually roll, which is when you're supposed to roll the Stranger Things credits after something whack-a-mole happens. Exactly. Yeah. And I like how she kind of appeared sort of semi-translucent, kind of like 
she was kind of shimmering like in his space and maybe that's something that only he as possessed billy could see i don't know but it definitely shows you that l is not completely safe in her spying with certain individuals certain individuals right (laughs) with mere mortals she can do it but you know with people that may have been infected by some other interdimensional (laughs) being that's a whole nother (laughs) for sure well the next day i'm assuming it's Mm -hmm. the next day we're at mike's house we're in his basement and we are awakened as the other two boys are awakened to loud fantasy music but before that i noticed that some dude i guess it was mr wheeler was mowing the lawn in the rain? Are you kidding? Do, do you do this? <laughs> well, you don't mow a lawn because no. you have an apartment. I have never known anybody to mow the lawn in the rain. That is just weird. And I don't know if it's just a Hawkins, Indiana thing. I've never seen that before. I can't say that I have either. I think that's an excuse not to mow the lawn. That's an excuse to put that chore off. <laughs> but I can't. I didn't think it was Mr. Wheeler. Maybe it's somebody they hire. I don't know. I would have to look at it again more closely to see who that was. It's just, it doesn't make sense. So as I said before, Mike and Lucas, they're awakened by this fantasy music and Will is in his Will the Wise outfit. I wrote down, someone is determined to play (laughs) D&D. Like, I think he's locked the doors at this point. (laughs) You know, and I I can't blame him. Listen, I, as you know, and I've mentioned recently, I only just started playing D&D in the last two years, but it's a lot of fun. And Man, I feel like I've been missing something my whole life. If I was 12, 13, 14, I would be I would be just like that. I would be trying to find any chance to play because hey, what else are you going to do? Especially in a small town. It's just something to do. And yeah. he's uh he's been try- trying to get his friends to play this game since this season opened. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I think Mike says, "What is that music?" And he goes, that is not music. That is the sound of destiny. I have seen into the future, and I've seen that today is a new day. A day free of girls. And it's just epic in order to guilt them into right. playing. And it's a great little coda at the end where Lucas says, can I take a shower first? Is that yeah. okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, all right, but can I just take a shower first? Because, <laughs> yeah, they probably all stink. Like nacho cheese and farts, you know, that's, yeah. I would not want to campaign with that smell in the basement personally. No. So, and they're just at that age and that kind of puberty age where you start to really smell. Right. Yeah. So I'm sure. Yeah. And they're camped out in this probably musky basement that doesn't get cleaned very often. So yeah, a shower might not be a bad idea. Summer, rain, right. Hawkins, Indiana, three there things that make it musty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then we kick over to Hopper's cabin Jim is hungover. Duh. He's in a towel. And then Joyce walks in. We joked about this in the first episode about how he sort of let himself go. But I want to say that David Harbour, and maybe just in general, the way that actors get into a physical shape for a role, I I say this very sincerely, that I think it's amazing how he's gotten himself to look like this, to look so disheveled, to really sort of laugh at him and at the same time really articulate something of like, I just don't care. Like I'm, I'm worn out when you have a guy just with a towel on no shirt. I mean, yes, this is what you would probably be doing or looking like when you're just out of the shower and you're by yourself. I mean, nobody else is there. And no one's, no one's watching you. So you're not really, I mean, I absolutely loved how he clearly has a hangover headache. He grabs a bottle of Tylenol. He swallows, you know, the Tylenol with 
a swig right from the milk carton, which gets all yep. over his mustache and beard. Yep. Yep. And I also love how he just like chucks the Tylenol bottle <laughs> across the room. Like he just doesn't yeah. care anymore. He's completely lost his kind of will to even try. And then he belches really loudly. So here we have, you know, David Harbour belching. We've got the kids burping and farting. You know, this is a, uh, an episode of bodily sounds. <laughs> The Foley artists were having a field day, that's for sure. The term I, I think that I decided that David Harbour is here is slovenly. That's my uh, word slovenly. of the day. Is that an actual word? It's a word, yeah. Just okay. means, it means what he is. <laughs> it's kind of okay. unkept, <laughs> dirty, not caring about oneself. You know, I mean, he is at least taking a shower, but he's decided to just let things go. <laughs> yeah, he is, he is definitely not uh, keeping himself in shape or he's really more a shape at this point here's the uh the official definition for all of us to just better ourselves it can mean scruffy untidy messy unkept ill-groomed disheveled all of these things so it's it's a perfect term and it kind of sound the word almost sounds correct just doesn't sound very appealing slovenly i just slovenly. It, you probably want to say it with an accent slovenly exactly <laughs> <laughs> i like it yeah. I mean, it's a good, it's a good word. Well, Joyce is coming in. He's of course mad at her. She's focused on the magnets. Hopper's confused as someone should be. He's kind of like at the double whammy of being hungover. And he's got this woman eccentrically yelling about magnets and solenoids and things like that. Yeah. And who basically stood him up and she doesn't even seem to know that she's completely no. <laughs> oblivious to the fact that they had plans for dinner the previous night. Yeah, she's got a one-track mind. He's got a one-track mind. Those tracks do not even come close to crossing or even being parallel to each other. They're on two different rails at this point. Exactly. Joyce is trying to give him a great explanation, and she mentions that she was hanging out with Scott that night. I was like, no, she was hanging out with with Mr. Clark, and that's, that's who Hopper alluded to. Like, oh, you mean your child's teacher? And I kind of agree with Hopper. I'm like, no, he's never going to be Scott. He's always going to be Mr. Clark. I know that's not what he was alluding to, but I can never call him anything but Mr. Clark because I've got that sort of, he's a teacher block in my head. Like when we were growing up, you never called your teachers by their first name. If you did, you were a faculty member and I was never a faculty member. So even if you like go back to your school when you're older and see your teacher, your former teacher, you can't call them John. You, you have to still call them by their by their professional name because that's how you knew exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. I did think I arrived at one point when I was in college and one of my fraternity brothers, he was getting his degree in education. He became a teacher. And so when I went to some event that he was hosting with some of our other you know, fraternity brothers, I would call him by his first name because that's how I knew mm-hmm. him. But right. hearing other people call him like Mr. Whatever, I was yeah. like, oh. I've arrived. Like you're no, you're not a teacher to me. You never were, right. but it, I just, I felt important. Right. Like I was like, can I go to the faculty lounge now, even though I'm not a teacher, but so yeah, she is trying to convince him that something whack-a-mole is going on with the magnets. And she is convinced that it might be the government, the department of energy. She says it has to be them. It has to be the lab. And she tries to convince him to take her to Hawkins lab. This was such a great fake out for me the first time I watched it because I thought he was like, oh yeah, you're right. This is good. I understand. And he goes, I'm a little busy right now, but I'm thinking maybe we can meet up there like tonight, like seven o'clock. You know, of course, unless something comes up, which, you know, it will. No. 
And I was like, oh, Hopper, come on, dude. Don't be, he, don't be still, rude. Yeah. He still just wants to get back at her for not showing up to dinner. So he's alluding to that. You know, like, well, yeah, why don't you meet me mm-hmm. there at seven and uh, maybe I won't show up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Such a dig, man. Yeah. Such a dig. And then he says, uh, you're inventing things. You're inventing things to get worked up about so that you can push me away. Because God forbid any of us move on. Because that, that would be, I mean, that would be too much, right, Joyce? You know, that would be too much, wouldn't it, Joyce? Wouldn't it, Joyce? (laughs) And we realize she's not there anymore, so he's basically yelling at nobody. (laughs) Right. But where is she? Well, where is she? Well, we find out. She's actually kind of taken initiative and gone out to his little version of a she shed and grabs some bolt cutters. And she's like, I'm out. We're doing this. And basically drags him kicking and screaming to the... uh, Yeah, still putting his boots on as he's walking. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Then we're on the road. Elle and Max, they're walking. And Max is not really convinced that something is wrong. So apparently Elle has told her, here's what I saw with, with Billy. They end up at Max's house. When we were in the first scene, I noticed something in Elle's room. One, it was very clean. And when you yeah. think of it contrasted with like Hopper's cabin, it feels very clean. It's very put together. The bed's made. And I'm not thinking that she's going to be a slob, but it just seems very like even for a cabin that's kind of that disheveled and a man who lives there, yeah. there that, that's slovenly. Uh, <laughs> the room itself exactly. looks really good. Yeah, he like put some extra effort into like fixing up that one room for her, but didn't bother with doing any work on the rest of the cabin. That's what it feels yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. He should have just taken the door off while he was doing <laughs> yeah. that. That would solve right. his problems of three inches. Well, you contrast that with Max's house, which looks really good. And then you go into Billy's room, which looks like pretty much Mike's basement without the, the fun gentleness or the, the, right. the comfort. A little more adult-oriented, if you exactly. will. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cigarettes and penthouse magazines and yeah. weights everywhere. My brother had a similar kind of setup in his room where it had a certain smell and there were dishes yeah. that were sort of tucked under the bed from when he had Ugh. eaten in his room. It's just not now. Yeah. I can appreciate Mike's basement for the community aspect of it. Billy's, no. No. Nope. And then they go to the bathroom where the bathtub is filled with melted ice. It is similar to what we saw with Will, who was sort of possessed last right season and needed to have all the cold so i think this is the same so maybe thing. Yeah, that's the yep, same thing yeah i think we're starting to get those kind of connective tissues happening here and you know the other thing is that i'm picking up the fact that i think we we talked last time about how the duffer brothers are expanding the mythology mm-hmm. even more i think they're doing that here as well where we understand the concept of sort of being possessed by something he from the upside down now right. we're starting to get into something of like, well, it doesn't just have to be Will. It's now Billy. Maybe it's anybody with a derivative of the name William. <laughs> so Billy, Will. <laughs> right. <laughs> and maybe whomever this is or and their natural habitat, it's much colder and they're not used to the normal warmth of the sun. And so yeah. they can't handle it. You know, it's like it's not conducive to their survival. So they have to cool themselves down or keep themselves cool. Yeah. Well, in that bathroom, Elle and Max also find a lifeguard fanny pack and a bloody whistle, which we know who that belongs to. 
But how did it get there? That's my one question. Like, well, did he take a detour and stop off? I mean, we haven't discussed the ending yet, so we we have a little more information by the end of this episode. But yeah, I, it's sort of odd to me that those two items would be in his like was it in the wastebasket in the bathroom of his? I think it house? was in a drawer, like a, in a cabinet. Drawer. Okay, yeah. And I think what happened was he kills her. Well, not I think he knocks her out and then takes her stuff home. He goes home, cools down, uh, puts okay, her there stuff go. there, and That'll then work. goes to the steelworks to drop her off for possession at that point. Right. Sure. I yeah. think that's kind of what I think the timeline was, that there was a detour to his house for a little cool down. Uh, yeah. No workout, but just a cool down. And then... <laughs> right. No, that, that actually makes sense. Yeah, I, I was just initially thinking it's a little convenient that they happened to find it, the bloody whistle, which, uh, you know, anyway. But no. <laughs> it, it, we found it. A clue. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then uh, we're in the dark room. Nancy and Jonathan's mm-hmm. relationship and pictures are developing nicely. <laughs> thought I'd throw a little pun there for you. I think we used that pun I, with I like Polaroids it. last season, but I thought yeah, I'd throw it back yeah. there anyway. Nancy pitches the idea of the weirdness and what they discovered to the boys club. She's like, I can do this. And so she throws it out there. And after getting ridiculed, she actually thinks her boss is like, yeah, look, guys, listen, I've got it. Here's what we're going to do. This, this is something really important. And then again, idiot me was like, just like with Hopper, I thought, oh, yeah, we yes. fell for it. <laughs> She's got an advocate. No, she doesn't. Then he takes it as an opportunity to throw another Nancy Drew dig at her. And she's just upset. Jonathan can't help her because, you know, he's Jonathan. And all he can do is just make that face. Like, Nancy, it's okay. But yeah. She loves him anyway. <laughs> yep. Yep. No. And I mean, he's he's on her side, but I just don't think there's much he can do. There's really nothing anyone can do about this is just the male workplace environment of the mid 80s. You're just not going to get around it you know it's how these people behaved sadly Mm -hmm. this scene serves two purposes one to advance her determination to get the story and two just to reinforce the fact that these guys are jackasses pretty much yeah yeah (laughs) and that if something bad happens to them you know we won't be too upset about it (laughs) yep yep then we're at scoops ahoy Lucas's sister is back trying to get more samples, interrupting Robin, who is listening to those Russian tapes. Kudos to Robin for just kind of giving her the palm, the face palm, saying, no, I'm not going to let you manipulate me. You are basically ruining the store. Go away. (laughs) Yeah. Doesn't she say, like, you're abusing our company's policy or something like that? Yeah. (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. She asks, you know, where's the guy in the white hat? I can't remember how she described Steve. Then it cuts to him and Dustin, who are participating in what Robin calls Spycraft. I don't yes. know if that's an 80s reference or a game, but I uh, thought it was fun that she said that. And they are looking for evil Russians that Dustin describes as tall, blonde, and has evil smiles. So yeah. I will use that as criteria when I'm out and about to identify evil Russians around me. Uh, Basically, hopefully. Dolph Lundgren and Rocky Four. This that's, is pretty much, That's yeah. what they're looking for. This is what we're yeah. talking about here. Didn't come out until 1990 or 89 or 90, so they're a little early on that, but they got the they got the stereotype pretty, pretty nailed there. And then um, Steve is getting distracted with the flirtation happening across the way, and Dustin reminds him that, I don't know why you're even looking at girls when you have the perfect one right in front of you, to which Steve is like, no. Robin is everything that I don't want. And I like that Dustin says, What's your type again? Not awesome. 
<laughs> so clearly yeah. Dustin has grown up a little bit in the last year being influenced yeah. by Steve, but sort of going out on his own, you know, with his uh, hotter than Phoebe Kate's girlfriend. And the banter through all this is just fantastic because it feels kind of like there's like a mentor-mentee shift in some way. Like yeah, yeah. the student has now become the teacher and the teacher does not want to become the student at this point in forms of right, Steve right. and like Dustin. Steve, Steve is technically an adult, as Dustin says. And I, I think that's the interesting part is that he is now you know 18, graduated from high school. But yeah, it's that kind of arrested development. He hasn't really matured yet, whereas Dustin actually is maturing at a faster rate and kind of catching up very quickly to Steve. So that's uh, that's interesting. But it is it is fun to kind of think, oh, yeah, this adult is being given advice from a child, as Robin says. <laughs> yeah, I think he describes Robin as not being his type. She's still in school and she's weird. She's a weirdo and she's hyper. I don't like that she's hyper and she did drama. That's a bad look, and she's in band? No. The one character trait that I think I agree with him is that she's just kind of crazy, or like that she's hyper. I don't right. get behind that. So I agree with you there, Steve, but everything else I'm on board with. I think that makes a great girlfriend, because it just keeps the excitement in the relationship. But clearly, Steve has some growing up to do even after graduating from high school. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I also like that he calls... <laughs> Dustin's camp, camp know nothing after all that. Know nothing, yeah. Little dig. <laughs> <laughs> so then we're back at Mike's house. Will, playing DM and clearly into it, is giving out what a DM should do, situations, yelling, the music's going, contrasting with um, Lucas and Mike, who are sort of casually into it, but we know they're not into it. Like, they're distracted because their ladies are not yeah. calling. Their ladies are probably doing something fun, and we know they're not. They're... <laughs> They're hunting now, but uh, the sarcasm comes out and then the phone rings. Lucas and Mike being distracted. This is the first time I think that Will starts getting mad. And and this is this yeah. is the Sean Levy moment here. This is the one mm-hmm. where we sort of talked around this idea of, yeah, it's things are changing and people are growing right. up and friends are growing apart. Well, Will has sort of embodied the other end of this. We've seen the fun kind of awkward, let's laugh at this adolescent relationships with guys and girls. Now we're seeing the other part where you have a guy clearly his feelings are hurt. I watched this play out upstairs in the rain and Mike says, we're just not in the mood right now. Yeah, Mike, that's the problem. You guys are never in the mood anymore. You're ruining our party. That's not true. Really? Where's Dustin right now? See, you don't know and you don't even care. And obviously he doesn't either. And I don't blame him. You're destroying everything. And for what? You can swap spit with some stupid girl. Elle's not stupid. It's not my fault you don't like girls. I'm not trying to be a jerk, okay? But we're not kids anymore. I mean, what did you think, really? That we were never gonna get girlfriends? That we're just gonna sit in my basement all day and play games for the rest of our lives? Yeah. I guess I did. I really did. And this is a really hard scene. And it is, yeah. for me, it's personally not, not hard to watch. I mean, I can watch it without like looking away. But my, my son at the time of this recording has just turned 10. Mm-hmm. So he's in the double digits. His voice is going to change at some point. And I just started thinking about all the things that he loves about my relationship with him. You know, reading to him at bedtime, giving him hugs randomly, dropping him off at school and having him 
do the same routine, saying I love you, me saying mm-hmm. do your best today. And then we do a little secret handshake. And then when he shuts the door, he always turns around and just waves at me. And I know that there's going to be a day where he turns into Mike <laughs> or he turns right. into Lucas. And I'm no longer a part of his world in a way that I am right now. And I know I'm not trying to be Will, but I get that. I get that loss of innocence and how Will is just trying to hold on to that. And this scene really sort of exemplifies that in a lot of ways. It definitely does. And I think we can all relate to this. We all can remember, not just with our own children, but also when we were this age, we can remember something that we loved that all of a sudden it just no longer became interesting to us anymore. It was it stopped being fun. You know, I didn't play D&D as a kid, but I, I did play Magic the Gathering, a card game, and I used to read comic books. And there was a point I remember when me and all my friends would look for any opportunity to play magic or to just talk about comics. But then suddenly something changed, you know, when you entered into high school and those things just stopped being interesting in the way that they were before. And you started to discover girls and sports and just being social with kids in school, you know, going to pep rallies, things like that. And comics and gaming sort of took a back seat. And I think that's normal. But then, of course, as we get older, we kind of revisit those things again as we realize I'm you know I'm married now I've got kids now I I can play games and read comics again why not (laughs) but yeah it's like everyone has to take a pause at some point to kind of grow up to kind of discover that there's more to life than just playing D&D in your friend's basement I feel like Dustin and Mike they have all sort of started that process and Will is just sort of having difficulty making that transition with his friends And I think some of it might be that he lost a little bit in that week of the first season. Mm -hmm. Not that he was gone for a year or anything like that, but even his experience in the last season, he had to grow up quite a bit. You know, it's, you know, it's like if you've been through any traumatic incident or lost a family member or whatever, those types of things at that age are going to change you in a way that you can't really anticipate. So I think that that's where his friends are not being great friends, in my opinion. They're not remembering, oh, yeah, well, you went through a lot these past two years. We sh- Maybe we should forget about our girlfriends right now and just spend some time with him. Just yeah. give him, give him some, some attention. The music here is especially poignant. It mm-hmm. serves as a great emotional backup to the dialogue. It also creates a nice little transition because it's raining, but the scene transitions over to the community pool and it just feels somber. (laughs) So we've had the somber moment with these characters and now we move to a community pool where there's a floating beach ball with rain and everything. That's where we meet up with Ellen Max who start talking to some of the lifeguards and find out that the girl's name is Heather. Elle finds her picture on the wall and she takes it in order to try to find her. So we're, again, we're used to this kind of stuff. This isn't like stuff we right. have to get re-explained. They go over to the staff showers, I think, and you know turn on all the water to create that static or that noise, that white noise. And mm-hmm. I love the makeshift taped up swim mask, You know, kind of yep. like hearkening back to the first season with the safety goggles. Through that transference or, or the power that she has, we find her address. And I kid you not, a red door that made me think of Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. nothing good Absolutely. is going to come from this red door. No. <laughs> <laughs> so Elle opens the door. She sees a bathtub filled with ice. And then Heather jumps out and says, 
and I'm like, oh gosh, now we're in a horror movie for sure. <laughs> and then right. it goes back in and the scene ends and I'm like, okay, let me just take a breath. It's 1130 at night. I'm wide awake. I need to go to bed at some point. I don't need to be scared this much. So I took a <laughs> right. pause and then re- yeah. reset myself. Yeah, absolutely. No, this is clearly they're they are on to something here. This is not just a wild goose chase. You know, they there's something wrong with Heather. <laughs> she needs help. <laughs> and now they know for sure. And this is a fun scene too. just the whole sequence of, you know, like you said, the pool, it's rain, there's a storm. So everyone has to get out of the pool and everyone's kind of huddled under any area that's covered. I remember that growing up when you would go to the community pool and you would have to get out of the pool because there was a lightning storm and you just you had to kind of kill 30 minutes usually because it wouldn't last long, but they would always make you stay out for like 30 minutes just to be safe. And you would always just be like hanging out, killing time while the storm kind of passed you by. And then you could, then everyone just run back into the pool as soon as they were allowed to. So they do capture these these kind of moments that I think uh, are just so commonplace for not just kids in the 80s, but really any any age. Yeah, absolutely. I remember that for, I went to a, a lake for day camp and that was the same mm. thing. You know, you'd have to yeah. sit out under a canopy made of metal for some reason. I don't know why they let us go there, but whatever. <laughs> oh, that uh, was and smart. Then, yeah. Yeah. Real smart from the teenage life. <laughs> Lightning <cards>. rod. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One thing I did enjoy was we got a couple of moments with Mac sort of being able to think on her feet, you know, saying things mm-hmm. very quickly to kind of deter any kind of suspicion. She does this here and she does it later. But I mean, this says a little bit more about her character, how she's able to sort of deter what's happening. Like, oh yeah, yeah, we're just here to drop off her fanny pack. You know, we, you know, she, she didn't show up and okay, here you go. And then they just, they take off. Yeah. But, uh, but she's very clever. I mean, she knows yeah. kind of how to deal with the situation. I think that's what makes them a good pair in this episode. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's great that she's getting as much screen time as she is and that she and Elle have this kind of new bond forming. I think it's it's an important element that Elle's character needs to have like a best friend. Like she's really only been friends with these boys, really, and, and her surrogate father, Hopper. So this is something that has been missing from her sort of reintegration into society is having a girlfriend, somebody that's going through what she's going through as well. And I can understand and relate to her. So then the scene switches over to Hawkins' lab where Hopper and Joyce break in. It appears to be abandoned. I got Chernobyl vibes here. I saw a sign that said um, restricted area by the Department of Defense. So it seems like it, it is abandoned, but it's also clearly a place that you're no one's supposed to go because of whatever yeah. did or didn't happen there. <laughs> The no squatters here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Demons or not, no no squatters of right. any kind. <laughs> Joyce has a flashback in the, I guess, main lobby of Bob being eaten alive. This uh, got me asking a technical question. I'm assuming that they recreated this scene because obviously this did not look like the scene from last season. I mean, he was isolated. The lighting was different. So I didn't stick around to look at the credits to see if Sean Astin was listed as a, you know, with Sean Astin at the end. But my mm. guess is that the scene looked different enough that it was recreated for the purposes of sort of her personal experience again. It's possible, or they could have been using unused footage, alternate takes. They could have just color corrected it differently. There's a lot of possibilities here. I mean, it would have been fairly expensive to recreate that scene, although I don't think they're hurting for budget. <laughs> as we've no, mentioned, this is 
they've gone all out with the visual effects, the music licensing, really everything. So yeah, it's very possible, but it's also possible that they had a lot of additional unused footage that they shot previously. Um, but that's yeah, I th- that's a good question. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I think if he was credited at the end and I didn't check myself, but if it said with Sean Astin, then it's probably new footage. If it's reused footage, it he probably wouldn't receive a credit at the end. So that might help us get to the bottom of this. <laughs> it would say with, and in parentheses, a digital version of, and then Sean <laughs> right. Astin, right? <laughs> right. And there's other, in this episode, other flashback scenes as well. So my guess is that they're just using previously shot footage, but it's, you know, you never know. It's It's very possible they... Because we saw Sean appear as Bob Newby in a, in the the first step was the first yeah the first episode in a flashback as well. But that that scene had never been like shown. right that like scene it, right. But my point just being that he clearly was game for coming back for flashbacks sure. if needed. Right. He was, <laughs> he wasn't like oh you don't want me for flashbacks screw this yeah. <laughs> hey Sean, you want to get eaten alive again by Demodogs? Yeah. Yes. Can I do that? <laughs> Can't wait. You <laughs> love it. <laughs> As they're walking, a red light starts blinking on a camera, so we know that they're not alone. I love yeah. the transition here of the camera lens, like the zoom into the camera lens there, and then the zoom out to Dustin's binoculars. We, we saw that a little bit last season where there were just some really cool transition effects of zooming in and zooming out to sort of smoothly get us from one place to another. I, I love that that technical That's aspect. That's great, yeah. So then we're in Starcourt, and Dustin and Steve spot an evil Russian. <laughs> The, again, I'm saying this now as I as I talk through this. This is like the third time that I've been duped by the filmmakers because yeah. the way they play it casual, <laughs> they're following the guy. He turns around. I love how they sort of <laughs> dive into like other roles. Dustin's on the phone. He says, "Hello. Yes, I am fine. How are you?" Yeah, <laughs> I almost think that was ad lib. <laughs> like, oh, totally. Hey, just say something, Dustin. And then it turns out the guy's actually a jazzercise instructor. Who is ready to sweat? Yeah! That's right. Okay, let's start it nice and easy now. Let's yeah, yeah, ladies. Let's warm it up. It's such a yeah, great yeah. little payoff. <laughs> and, and just in the way the, the actor performed leading into that scene the way he was just walking around very erect with sunglasses on he would like turn around like almost like a terminator you know to like see if someone was following him they really played up and it makes me wonder like is this really what he was doing or is this just what their minds were telling him he looked like you know that he was so suspect that they were kind of seeing him as something that he wasn't really of course when he gets into the jazzercise room he's just like the opposite of a scary russian dude <laughs> you know exactly <laughs> so it's, it was really a lot of fun meanwhile we have uh, robin still trying to crack the code so she's sort of at a loss and she gets a delivery and the guy that delivers the thing to her she sees the word links on the uniform and then she says silver cat and now the aha moment comes alive she busts through scoops ahoy passing dustin and steve yeah. And starts kind of making and connecting the dots. I, I don't know if there was a rotating camera. I wish there were. I kind of felt like yeah. there should have been if there wasn't. But she's like, yes, this, this, this. And then she, they come out and they're like, dude, what are you doing? And she's like, I cracked the code. And I'm like, yeah, great, because yeah. I don't know what that means either. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, she's basically seeing all those phrases, those code phrases in the mall around them. You know, she's seeing what they're referencing. And clearly she now knows that the mall is being referenced in that coded message for some reason, but we don't know why. Well, it was a it was a fun way to end that scene. And then mm -hmm. it kicks us over to the newspaper. The boys club prank Nancy with a rubber rat in the cabinet. And, you know, it just gets my blood boiling because I'm just ready to slap those guys. Silly. Yeah. It's like they're never working. It feels like they don't get any work done. Like there are no stories laughing Adam. and joking and <laughs> th th there yeah. are no stories happening. So right. it's, <laughs> it's so awful. And then she barges into the dart room yet again. <laughs> yeah. And tells Jonathan that if they need proof, she can get it and starts talking about the rat. And he's like, Nancy, come on. And he almost sort of insults her, but sort of saves it and says, you know what? Here are my keys. Let's go. And ever the supportive boyfriend, well, supportive friend, because he was definitely yeah. friends with her before that, but definitely both. Um, and then they take off to do more sleuthing, you know, Nancy Drewing it as much yep, as they can, yep. hardy boying it. So yeah. they take off to <laughs> exactly. what we assume is Mrs. Driscoll's house, which is the truth. And then yep. we get back to Hawkins' lab, and it looks, all the looks like all the cavities have been filled. Jim affirms that by saying, I watched them do it, Joyce. This is another Sean Levy scene. I'm just going to call these Sean Levy scenes where there's these like two people sure. having a moment. I love what Hopper says. You know that I'm keeping a close eye on things, right? Yeah. Because it's important to me. It is important to me that you feel safe, that you and your family feel safe. I want you to feel like this can still be your home. And this is the first time that we find out that Joyce actually wants to leave Hawkins. So this was a surprise to mm -hmm. me. And it made me think about the conversation that she had with Bob, where Bob was like, hey, we can move to Maine. Yep. She's like, no, I love Hawkins yeah. and Hawkins sort of loves me. <laughs> but yep. I hadn't actually thought about that until he said it. And so I think that's going to be something that we're going to be playing with the rest of the season is, is this going to be the, the thing that makes Joyce leave town? this whole right. stuff going on with the magnets. And I'm, I'm not really sure. Yeah. And I think they mentioned that she was speaking with a realtor to put her house up for sale. Uh, not that it's the most appealing home after everything it's been through, but yeah, it's, you got to get something for it. Right. And in real life, it yeah. actually went on the market recently. That, that house I saw that, that. Was, uh, was used at least for the exteriors. Yeah, I saw that. Um, and it went for an insane amount. I think yeah, it was because well, of what it was, but also because of the land that, that it occupied. Right. Like it wasn't just the, the house, property. but it was like there's some, the property itself was very yeah, expensive. Yeah. And just to be able to say, I mean, to say, oh, I own the buyer's house used in Stranger Things. It, it's like saying I own the farm used in Field of Dreams. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it will become that level of iconicness the same thing happened recently with the the house from home alone for the exteriors oh, it yeah. sold recently for quite a lot of money because the house i mean it's just such an iconic looking house from all those exterior shots so yeah it's a, if you are lucky enough to have a, a home of yours featured in a in a hit movie or show it can increase the the value astronomically the perceived market value. Yeah, exactly. Like, who cares if the planning didn't It's work, like bragging as as... rights. It's like, oh, I've got yeah. the home alone house or whatever. You know, it's, you yeah. got, you, you could say that from the rest of your life. That house should get decorated with really fun Christmas lights every, every yes. season. 
as a tribute. Like we keep lights on the outside of the house, not on the inside. Right. Right. <laughs> and they should, if it doesn't look like it does on the inside, they should renovate it and make it look the way it looks in the show. Why not? With all the eighties furniture and everything, <laughs> go all in. <laughs> and then charge people a fee to walk through it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, they could make money, but Hey, I, I don't know who bought it. I did not. And you didn't. So that eliminates no. two of us. before the scene ends hopper opens up about having to leave his daughter having to leave town after his daughter died i see this as a way of being empathetic and and this scene just reminds me that he doesn't just want to have a girlfriend in joyce like he deeply cares about her and her family as as we saw him do last last season and he finishes it by saying but you have something that i never had you have people that know you've been through you have people that care about you right here in Hawkins. So it's sort of a plea to stay, mm-hmm. not just because he wants her to stay, but because, look, she really does have roots here, roots that are healthy. She has healthy roots in terms of family, in terms of friends. So, yeah, I want her to stay because if she doesn't, then, you know, stranger things will be strange without her unless she's it'll be, you know, yeah, living close it's, by. It'll be a different show. Yeah. And doesn't yeah. she make a joke like, you mean people like Scott Clark? She does. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> and she's like, I'm just kidding. And yeah. he makes that face at the end. He's classic. clearly not ready for that no. joke. <laughs> Is it too soon? Too soon, right? Yeah, too soon. And then they hear something. Of course they hear something. <laughs> yes. Hopper, of course, investigates the noise. And he sees a door shut. And there's a really great shot. I don't know if you caught it, where you just see the shadow of Hopper's gun on the door, like really large. And you see him like take the safety off. And it's just a really cool, all just silhouette of his gun that you just see sort of projected onto the door because he's holding a flashlight. Oh, you know, behind. yeah, it's really, really well done. It's it's so Neat. natural that you don't think about it. It's a really mm-hmm. just beautiful and creative choice you know you could have just shown his gun but they showed it just through the shadow you know behind the flashlight basically causing the shadow i didn't see that i'll have to at some point go back to that episode but i know that after we record here i'm going to watch the next one of course (laughs) yeah the priority is lowered for the previous episode absolutely on your third viewing of this season you yeah, can... for my for my other podcast called That's Stranger right. Things, right? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I, I can't get enough talking about this show. For a really original series podcast. <laughs> <laughs> a not so original series because it's a derivative <laughs> right. of this one. <laughs> a more original series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then we are back at the buyer house. Dustin and Mike are flying up in the rain. They're looking for Will, who isn't answering the door because he's at Byers Castle. And he's looking at all the memories, yet another great levy moment of emotion. And because I'm a person of levity, not levy, Ah, but levity. Yeah, yeah. um, The whole time I'm kind of thinking in the back of my head, everything he's looking at has taken place. Like all the pictures are from like a year ago or two years ago. Like he's not looking at things from like four years ago, five years ago. Right, right. But I understand the intent. Like a picture is triggering a flashback to episodes that we are familiar with. So we have that same empathy with him. So we're experiencing that. So it did not take away from the emotion of it, but I just thought it was kind of funny that, oh, he's looking at pictures that were, you know, recently as a year ago. Well, yeah, and but you have to remember, too, that at that age, when you say if you're 10 and you're thinking about something from a year ago, that's 10% of your life. 
that, true. that has transpired. So yeah. at, at that age, a year feels much longer than it does to us in our you know, 40s because it's it's a much right. smaller percentage of what we've already lived thus far. So I think, yeah, two years for a 12, I don't know, what are they, 12 here, 13? I'm not even sure, but two or three years is a big chunk of their of their life. And, and you don't even really remember when you're one to like four or five, you know, you barely remember your first five years. So of the life that they've lived and actually, you know, been aware of, it's not a lot of time. <laughs> Anyway. Good point, Adam. As always, good point. No, no. We're just bring me just, back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the way the scene ends is is tragic. You know, he he destroys Byers Castle, and that reinforces that idea of the end of innocence. Like he is, whether yes. by choice or being forced to, he is leaving his innocence behind. Yeah. And I, I think this is a real kind of I won't call it cathartic because it's not. I mean, he's he's very much angry, but it's very symbolic of the fact that he is no longer the child. Will right. He is now the adolescent. It's time to grow up. That's where it leaves us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's being forced to move on, basically. Yeah. So then we're at Mrs. Driscoll's house, and I think at this point, this is where the energy ramps up. The rhythm yeah. gets really quick for these last few scenes, and yeah. this is where I started thinking, "Oh my gosh, here's where it gets real." She's not <laughs> answering, but Nancy decides to go in anyway. She says. Maybe she fell or something or, or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as they, as they enter, did you catch the camera as it pans across the room? It pans across a black cat clock with that's that eyes uh, move. Yes, back and forth. I did. It's the exact <laughs> clock from the opening scene in back to the future. When doc Brown oh, sets yeah. all the cl- clocks back 25 minutes, you know, they're, tw- they're exactly 25 minutes slow. That's one of the <laughs> clocks that we see as the camera kind of hands through his, his laboratory. So I don't what know if that great... was intentional or not, but I even looked it up just to make sure. And it was like, you know, it's the identical clock. So somehow they found that prop or that clock out there somewhere and decided consciously to put it in the scene. I thought it was fun. Oh, it's great, man. That's a, that, yeah, I noticed it, but didn't make that connection to back to the future. So great connection there. They go downstairs to the basement. Why do you do this? It's dark. <laughs> it's rainy. You're going down to the basement. I don't care that you're with somebody else, but somebody's going to slash your, your neck. It's going to happen. Yeah. Or bring a weapon. Yeah. They, they've been through fighting a Demogorgon. They, they should know better. They should be bringing <laughs> something, right, to defend themselves. Yeah. And then they hear familiar sounds. And I, when I say familiar, I mean familiar to us. These sound like demon sounds, like sounds from, <laughs> sounds from the upside down, down. <laughs> which could be like a great kind of radio show of some kind. But yeah. then they see Mrs. Driscoll and she's eating fertilizer. And again, that's not gross enough or weird enough. Again, I half expected her to have this grotesque face like we, like I expected Billy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But her face is really interesting because it's not like she's smiling, like a sinister smile. She's just like she's surprised to see them. Like like an and, animal, you know, like, yeah. a, like a surprised animal almost. Like she's like been what, startled, what, right. What do you watch? Like a dog, if, it, if you catch your dog, like, you know, eating something, it's not supposed to. It kind of look, looks up like, at you quickly. and Yeah, like you your know. cat's poop. Yeah, we, yeah. we, we yeah. do that. That's the face that my, <laughs> my dog makes when I'm like, get out of the litter box. Stop yeah. eating his That's poop, not please. food. <laughs> it's not. And neither is the fertilizer. That's true. Get her some lemonade, maybe to wash that yeah. down with. Yeah, she makes some fresh lemonade. It's fresh squeezed. It's fresh squeezed. <laughs> Just like that fertilizer is fresh. 
But did she go get some more fertilizer? Because I thought that the rats ate it all, right? So she must have gone out and picked up some extra or had it delivered. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there was no, there was it's, no like, like Uber Eats. Uber Eats. Know, <laughs> for, <laughs> for fertilizer. Exactly. <laughs> Outside Starcourt, Robin, Steve, and Dustin are doing some recon. They almost get caught. This is just sort of classic 80s spy movie stuff. They see guys with guns in black speaking a language that they don't understand. They're moving boxes around. And they're on like the roof, I guess, of like another. Yeah, it's like a parking deck, that kind of thing. Yeah, attached to the mall. Yeah. Yeah. And when they get sort of heard, they all duck down. And for that split, like two or three seconds, we see that Steve and Robin are holding hands. And then they just, you know, break it up a little bit. When they realize, oh, wait. What's happening here? You're yeah. weird, Robin. Don't touch my hand with your weird hand. <laughs> your hyper hand. Your hyper hand, yeah. <laughs> Band hand, draw my hand. <laughs> and I think they end up back in the mall, like in one of the yeah. alleys. I don't know specifically where they are at this point, but they do, I think, go back into the mall. They're definitely back in maybe the service you know, hallways or something like that, however they got up there. But yes, one of the guards hears the noise that they're making and does go up to that roof area. And obviously at that point, they've already left. But they mentioned that these guards are heavily armed, you know, more so than would normally be guarding deliveries to a mall. Even if it's like <laughs> high-tech computers and TVs, I, I don't think you would have yeah. men with body armor and machine guns. And <laughs> it just doesn't seem... Something strange in the yeah, neighborhood. That's right. And who are you going to call? Well, these three. Well, I mean, there's obviously red flags of the fact that they're delivering stuff late at night. And speaking Russian, right? Sure. Yeah. Let's just call well, it the obvious thing. Quite a few. <laughs> Don't be so ethnocentric, Adam. I mean, <laughs> Russians could be working for American companies. That's true. That's very true. They, there's lots of languages in this melting pot that we call America. <laughs> <laughs> then we're back at Hawkins Lab. I love a good abandoned set or yeah. place. I just find it fascinating because it makes me think about all the craziness that that happened. In particular, we know what happened here. Mm-hmm. He gets ambushed by I think it's that is it the Russian guy that we met? It is. First yeah, that okay. Big guy that choked out the scientist in the opening yeah. scene. Yeah, I was noticing how Jim fought in comparison to this guy. Like this guy, mm. and I say this very Captain obviously, but he knows how to fight. And right, duh. I mean, he's You've bigger been trained. than. Yeah. But he's been trained. Like he knows how to bob and weave and you know, he kicks Hopper and then he kicks him in the knee. And I mean he knows how to like really yeah. kind of and put him and down. He's, also, he's hitting him like in his kidneys, like in vital yeah. organs, like places exactly. where he's gonna cause the most, you know, pain and damage to sort of incapacitate him as much as possible. Whereas Hopper's kind of more of just a street fighter, you know, just kind of punch it trying to punch him in the face and and shove him. But yeah, Hopper gets pounded by this guy. Yeah. And as we've said, David Harbour's a big guy. He's like six foot four and he's bigger than normal in this season. So this guy is even bigger. So he's a he's a big Russian dude. It's not Dolph Lundgren, but he's still big. Yeah. He's not small at all. Yeah. <laughs> Joyce ends up finding him and then she sees him, the other guy, the Russian guy, on a motorcycle taking off. So right. at this point what I think is that the Russians have tapped into Hawkins lab. They have access to security and this guy has grabbed something from the lab to take back. So that's kind of all we know at this point, right. which yeah. is fine to leave me with because that's something fun to unpack later. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
And it's another fun cut because, as you said, we see the motorcycle sort of going off into the rain and it kind of cuts to Elle and Max riding towards the camera in the rain. uh, And they're on their way uh, to, I guess it's Heather's house, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they they see the the, the mailbox with the address and then they recognize the the red door. They open the door. (laughs) Apparently, this is what happens in Hawkins. You can just open doors to houses that you don't own. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) As long as you have a personal excuse, like maybe they're may fail down. (laughs) Well, I, I will say growing up in a small central Pennsylvania farming town, nobody locked their doors like no one was worried. You just left your doors unlocked unless you were like going away for like a week or two on a vacation or something. You just left your doors unlocked. You just go out into the store. And and so I'm not saying people should just walk into your home. That's not an invitation to let people in. But it, there yeah. is a sense. There is a sense of just like, you know, Mikasa es su casa. So I can almost justify Nancy and Jonathan because they actually ask. They say, Mrs. Driscoll, are you there? They knock. And then they walk in where it looks like Elle and Max are just like, let's just go in. It's cool. Yeah. (laughs) Because they think clearly, again, based on Elle's vision of what happened and she needs help, they think something horrible happened to her or is happening to her. I think they feel sort of justified in breaking and entering if they can save this girl's life. But yeah, it's somewhat humorous that these kids just don't care, you know, about any sort of personal property or space. (laughs) Yeah. I will say I do like the pose that Elle makes when they open the door. Oh, yeah. She's ready to fight. Like almost like a superhero pose. (laughs) Yeah. Like I expected her hands to start glowing for her to punch some dude. Like she's part of the X-Men or something. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, uh, she's like Jubilee, you know, in this case. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) They walk in, they arrive finding Heather's dad and mom and Billy. Yeah. At the dinner table. Yeah. Yeah. Like nothing has happened. And Billy looks like totally good now. Like he's not sweating. Yeah. He like he actually looks clean and mm-hmm. and well dressed and and like healthy. Unlike the way he looked <laughs> during his uh, lifeguarding at the yeah. community pool. And did you notice that the dad, I think, is the editor from the Hawkins Post? I think it's the same actor. I think so. I, I was trying to make that connection indirectly because I was really focused on what was happening at the dinner right. table. But I right. did recognize that. And I thought, wouldn't he recognize? And then I forgot. No, it's Nancy that he would recognize. Not Right. He would only. Right. Exactly. Like that's yeah. the only time we've ever seen him is, is interacting with Nancy. So uh, these all these characters, I think, would be new to him. Yeah, I think that's the case. So one thing I noticed is that other moment where Max sort of is able to get out of the situation. Like she picks up what they're putting down and she makes that excuse. Like, yeah, we're, we were worried about you guys. You know, you didn't show up for work. And um, like Billy says, yeah, we just decided to take the day off. It'd been kind of a, a rough night. And I think what I, I love about his look, like the way that makeup costume, you know, the, the way that he's actually been posed or however he physically is yep. set up is he doesn't look disheveled. He doesn't look like, sweaty and stuff but he also doesn't look like cool like he he doesn't have the pre-possessed billy look either right where he looks mean and he's got like a swagger to him he looks like you know wally cleaver at this point which is i think is especially for his sister his sister will definitely be able to tell the difference that this is not my brother because yeah she knows what her brother is like normally when he's sane and not possessed (laughs) so yeah yeah 
as he comes over to talk to to Max, that's when she makes the comment about we were worried about you and Heather, and that's yeah. when we see Heather come in with the cookies. Like I just stuff her like, wife. <laughs> what the what is going on here? Yeah. What is happening? Yeah. It just gets even creepier the way that Billy and Heather deliver the lines next about yeah. just all the stuff that they're saying. It's like this is just creepy. I'm starting to realize, okay, now we're getting possession here. And so that's reinforced with Mrs. Driscoll that mm-hmm. you've got these slug things that are rolling around. Well, not rolling around, but slithering around. <laughs> right. I, I don't I don't know I don't know how the what how the access happens. I don't know if what the what the methodology is. But what sure. I do know is by the time we get to this point, I'm now making those connections. Okay, <laughs> we're now going to get like a, a town full of possessed whatevers, and that's the danger for this season. So, yeah, hold on that's, to your butts at this some point. Good, good. <laughs> more theorizing, uh, more, there. more on yeah. the nose. Theor- <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, it's not bad. I'm not going to say if it's correct or not. Or, but yeah. Do you have any theories? on the Russian aspect of what's going on in the mall. I'm just curious, like, has has, any clues stood out to you yet, or has anything kind of formed in your mind? No, I think for me, what I start feeling is the way that I started feeling about the the first third of the way through the first season, where you have these two storylines that are interconnected, but not directly connected. So you have Mm -hmm. Hawkins Lab, Demogorgon, Close the Gate, and then you have L and will Mm -hmm. that are not directly connected. So like these parallel lines that Mm -hmm. are storylines that do connect in some way, but not directly. I kind of get that same flavor here where we have Russians in the U S doing something nefarious. We know that there's a connection to the Demogorgon and Gates and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And now we have a possessed Billy and a possessed Heather and a possessed Mrs. Driscoll, that is there an invasion happening here? I mean, I could go as far as saying, oh, maybe the Russians are in collusion with the the Upside Down. Maybe they're trying to figure something out. But I don't know. Um, I don't have any solid theories. I'm just sort of along for the ride at this point. But that's kind of how I feel is that you have parallel stories that do interconnect, but not directly at this point. And what do you think about Will's comment where he says, he's back? Like, Does does that stir any... Well, that harkens back to what you told me last season in that there is a, an intent to calling it he, like there is a distinctive entity at this point. And so I still don't know, and I'm excited to find out, but I think he, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if he has a family. Who shall not be named. (laughs) Is it Voldemort? Are we going to give Voldemort? This would be funny. It's Um, a Harry Potter crossover. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that would be fun, <laughs> complete with like wands and quidditch and all that yeah, yeah. stuff. Yeah, instead of aliens versus predator, it's Harry Potter versus Stranger the Demogorgon. Things. I don't Stranger know. Things, yeah. <laughs> Hit some Demogorgon with a quaffle or something. And uh, is it just me or does the actor, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, who plays Will, does he remind you a little bit of Daniel Radcliffe at times, like an American version? I just sort of yeah. get a little vibe of like a young, like the younger version of him. So I think what reminds me of him is when his voice cracks. So he's hitting puberty. And when he gets really upset with Mike and the way that he intensifies his voice, I hear a little bit of Daniel Ratcliffe as a young Harry Potter. Right. Like in those middle years where he was going through the change. Yeah. The mop top obviously throws me off. But yeah, I think there's a little bit of a, at least vocally, there's some Daniel Ratcliffe in there. 
So before the show ends, or the episode ends, we get that scene in the woods. He's back. Then we cut back to Heather's house. <laughs> Another great use of music. We've got oh, Don yeah. McLean's American Pie <laughs> playing over what I call mom and dad getting whacked or recruited or harvested. Like any one of these three would be applicable yeah. at this point. Because that's what I'm thinking is that they are being subdued. And then Heather says exactly what Billy said. It'll be all over soon. Don't yeah. squirm or whatever. And so I'm thinking, okay, now we're going to get this whole family that's possessed by whatever this thing is. Right. And they're clearly not, they're not like brutally murdering them. So they're not, the intent isn't to kill these people. They're in, the intent, as you said, is to subdue so that they can do whatever they need to do to them to perhaps turn them into a, a member of the, this army of whatever <laughs> they yeah. are. Yeah. So. <laughs> but a yeah. great episode, a great way to end it. And um, absolutely makes me excited. Makes me excited about what's coming up next. So, Adam, what is coming up next? Chapter four, the sauna test. Don't what? I don't actually remember <laughs> the meaning of that title. I don't remember what that refers to. What first comes to mind is like, you know, when they were doing tests on L, you know, but maybe so maybe they're going to do some type of test in a sauna. Well, here we go. We talked about again. I don't remember. I'm legitimately just speculating here. We talked about how these possessed people don't like the heat. So maybe if they put a possessed person in a sauna, it would uh, help depossess them. <laughs> sweat it out. Sweat <laughs> yeah, out the <exactly>. demons. <laughs> yeah. I really honestly don't remember. So if I just gave away what happens, I'm going to be like, well, I, I subconsciously remembered it then and didn't even Thanks realize it. Thanks for ruining it, it Adam. Yeah. <laughs> Well, whatever happens, whether it's exactly what you said or something completely different, I know that I'm going to enjoy it because I have not seen it yet. And so to me, any spoiler is a good spoiler at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for tuning in and joining our conversation. I'm Patch. He's Adam. And we are out of here.